<clears throat> All right, the book of Acts chapter 9. The book of Acts chapter 9. And um, show of hands here. How many of y'all read? Praise the Lord. All right, so who would like to go first tonight? All right, praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is awesome, awesome, awesome. Who's next? Go ahead. Even when he couldn't see. 
Good. Um, and, and based on what they have both just said, um, I just want to add that when the Lord told, um, um, in Spanish it's Ananias, how do you say the name? Ananias. 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 When mm -hmm. he told the disciple Ananias to go and do this, this is what I'm telling you to do, go do this. He said, wait, Lord, this is the guy, that's what called my attention. Mm -hmm. This is the one that's been persecuting the Christians. Your people, Lord, come on. And the Lord says, ah! I have a plan and purpose for this man. Do as mm -hmm. I say, because he will suffer for my cause. And so basically what they've said, you know, that's what brought it home to me. That, you know, we uh, as Christians can observe someone that's just not walking in righteousness. That you know what? God has a plan. I mean, and, I, and we are living testimonies. My husband and I are living testimonies. You know, because had we known then what God had planned for us today, we would not have walked in the way that we walked one day. Right. So, you know, that, that really stood out. Amen. I can I can I can attest a little bit to Paul's way, um, you know, being a person that was absolutely in the world. I remember, you know, one time I had a, had a conversation with someone. They were trying to talk to me about, you know, Christianity or whatever. This person was an elder in the church. And I told this person off so badly. They almost sat down from being an elder because I was like, yo, you're a hypocrite. What are you talking to me? I mean, I was like just horrible, you know, I mean, just up in their face. And, you know, the person was like shook, you know, I mean, like big time, like, man, you know, this, I don't think I'm going to sit down from doing this. And, you know, you look at the opposite side of it, you know, and, and, I, and I agree with Pastor Anna saying, you know, which is that a lot of times and I'll go into this a little bit later on. On probably but you know a lot of times we look at those people that are the impossible cases the ones that are the you know most hateful of the church those are the ones that I think we need to be praying for the hardest because those are going to be the ones that are going to become the greatest vessels of glory for the church because you see how bold they are against the church that's exactly how they're going to be for the church because usually you're dealing with a person who is 100% in or 100% out you're not dealing with one of those wishy-washy like yeah you know I'm in but I'm not really you're not dealing with someone like that you're dealing with someone who is very bold and the apostle Paul is that prime example of a person who had that boldness you know and he was you know used to to some extent to kind of motivate the church to get out of where they were and, and bring them out to a you know to another place God allowed that you know to, to that extent and then God is like all right buddy now I'm gonna you know call you back over here because this is all done because of what because he was passionate about the law you know he was passionate I mean a Pharisee of Pharisees I mean he was he was the man and he had a real passion for God it wasn't based on this knowledge of revelation so you know, you have them there, um, you know, and, and, and I like what Marisol said. She said, you know, I haven't had that encounter, you know, but I long for that, you know, and it's good, you know, to, to long for that. And like I was saying on Sunday, you know, it's not enough when you see these scriptures, don't, you know, don't just desire it, go after it because, and I'm not going to tell you that everybody is going to see the Lord because that's not, I'm, I'm not, I would be lying to you to say that because there is a minority of people who have truly seen the Lord and I will encourage you, don't be asked 
asking to see the Lord either because there's plenty of other things that show up acting like the Lord and that's how you got a whole bunch of false religions you know anyway so I just want to throw that in there but it is very very important that you do seek him because while you may not see him you can experience him you can encounter him to that degree to where your life is not just changed because of one encounter I mean God wants you to encounter him on a continual basis you see these guys in the scripture I mean you look at Ananias here what was he doing he was in prayer having his time with the Lord and what happened boom the vision comes the Holy Spirit begins to speak to him so he has an encounter that changes him and so everybody has to have and the last thing that I said on Sunday was you will not live for the word if you have not had an encounter with the living word if you have not had an encounter with him you're not going to live for him and, and what did Marty so say she said man there are very few people who are passionate who totally turn around but that's what repentance is when you repent you turn you make a 180 and you turn from the direction you were going into the new direction following God and you're going to just go all out and that's the bottom line and so you know praying these things I think is so 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 vital that when we look at this that we realize that this is um what every child of God needs, man. Every child of God needs that encounter and not just once, but on a continual basis. Because when you read throughout the epistles and you see the apostle Paul just throughout the book of Acts, I mean, you find a guy who was in communion with the Holy Ghost, man, a guy who was plugged into God, not because he was an apostle, but because he just decided, you know what, I'm gonna follow this relationship and continue to grow in this. And so now I'm not turning away. So I've had two people talk. Pastor Robert, did you want to say something? Okay. Uh, not, necessarily, <laughs> not, not necessarily about that, but um, the one thing that I saw that was uh, amazing to me was when um, Peter put everybody out because this, because Dorcas had had passed, and he put everybody out. And the Bible said he knelt down, he prayed, turned towards her, and told her to get up, and she did. Now, here's the thing. That was amazing to me because all he did was turn towards her and he told her to get up, mm -hmm. but he believed 100% that she was going to get up because it wasn't like he said, get up and was peeking and trying to see if she was going to get up. And the Bible didn't say that he doubted in any way. And the Bible says, you know, that if we have that faith the size mm -hmm. of a mustard seed, and you, you heard me say it before, if you have that amount of faith without doubt, there, there's no room for anything to happen but a miracle. And so the problem is we can't have that much faith without that little bit of doubt. You know, so he just displayed what, you know, what Christ showed him. As a matter of fact, he just did what Jesus did. That's exactly. all he did. Exactly. Because we know the story from, you know, I think it's the book of Luke and Mark, I think it is, where um, Jesus goes in and does the same thing. They're in there playing all their sad music, and he says, everybody, get out. And he brings in Peter, John, and James, yep. and he does the same thing. Get up. She gets up. You know, so he, he did the same thing. All you guys that are doubters, I need you out. Okay. The Bible said he stayed by himself and showed that great faith. Of a yeah, they said that he told those women to get out that were crying all over the closet. Right, they're 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 holding them up. They're holding the closet. Yeah. She made right. this. <laughs> no, well, Peter and Peter was alone. <laughs> yeah, Peter was like, "Look, I do it by myself. There ain't nobody here. Yeah, I believe that everybody it. else. Y'all gotta go." Oh. <laughs> but that was a, that was just amazing to me to see what he did. I was discussing with Sonia Sakria. Yeah. I could see. 
with my, you know, not seeing it, but in the spirit I can see why, the reason why. The dolls, the people that are waiting for a miracle, you just dump them all out. Get out of my way, you know, get out of the poor spirit's way. Let's move. Oh, you got to get those people out of your life. You got, you got to get those people out of your life, not just out of the way for the moment. Because, you know, and that's the reason why I always tell people it is, it is dangerous. And hear what I'm going to say. It is dangerous to your faith for you to read and listen to commentaries of people that don't believe that this stuff is for today. Because when you do that, you are crippling yourself. Because what happens is when the moment comes that you need faith, Faith doesn't rise up alone because there's a part of you that is like, okay, I'm going to pray for this. But then there's the other part that has been reading, you know, so and so and so and so and so and so that said this, this, this and this and sounded right. And I don't believe it, but you know what? You know that somehow it was deposited within you. And so it's important that, you know, you don't get around people and not just for healing, you know, or rest, but, you know, marriage, you know, people who, you know, have been through divorces and things of that nature, or, you know, have just been in horrible relationships. They're the worst people for you to talk to when you're going through stuff, because you know what, when you get, when you need faith for your marriage, guess what comes up when things aren't going right? Oh, this person said it, I should leave. And you remember what this idiot said. And you know, you know what, they were right. They weren't right. The devil is a liar you got to have the right focus and so that comes from i mean you you can go down the list of any situation that you're dealing with you know ministry whatever it is and if you allow yourself to be contaminated with that doubt or that discouragement then what's going to happen that's what's going to rise up and so we've got to take the example the apostle peter said you know what like pastor robert said there ain't nobody up in here with faith y'all are crying and weeping but you know what someone had some kind of faith okay because the bible does say that they sent for Peter. They said, we knew Peter's there because you know what? Ain't nobody else around us got this kind of faith. So we know that Peter, he went up to the guy at the gate. Beautiful. We heard that story. He said, silver and gold, have I not? Get up and rise in the name of the Lord. And they said, we need that kind of faith here. They knew that Peter had it. And so they said, you know what? We're going to send for him. And obviously Peter said, all right, y'all got me. I'm going to go to get in the room and I'm going to do what? I'm going to get down on my knees before the Lord. I'm going to seek his will and his counsel. And then I'm going to turn to her and say, all right, get up. And then I'm going to stand up, I'm going to give her my hand, and we're going to get up. And we're going to walk out the room and praise the Lord. People are going to get saved. You know, and that, that is what is going to happen in the situation. But it is vitally important that we look at these examples because they are there for a reason. And so it is important that you feed yourself the scriptures, the word of God, and what the scriptures teach. And that way, what? When situations rise up, you are hearing what the scriptures say. Amen? Amen. So get them people out your life. Hallelujah. Who else would like to say something? My brother. Acts 9 is probably one of my favorite chapters because it's probably for one of the most simple reasons. Um, I don't see it, see a lot that happens in the chapter, but um, I think for me, it's just such a it's just such a glowing example about how we can bring other people who are not saved, and you know we can refer to this to this chapter and you know show what we all just said about how someone who's just so foul, so you know, just killed. You know, Christians and who was just so just didn't have a chance. And here he is. He had an encounter with the Lord, and look where he is now. I mean, the guy goes on, and you know, we're witnessing the 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 rebirth of one of the like the greatest you know apostles in you know the New Testament. The guy writes thirteen epistles. He teaches us about love. How you know it's the greatest of all things. He teaches us how to deal with our children, how to deal with our marriages, 
you know, he, he teaches us how to build the church. And chapter 9, we're witnessing this guy's birth. You know, we're witnessing his encounter with the Lord and how powerful that is and to see where he came from. And that's just such a testimony that we can bring to people who are not saved to say, look, man, it doesn't matter how far in the dark you were. You know, God is the light, and he'll bring you out of that. Amen. And look what this man went on to do. So that's why it's one of my favorite chapters in Acts for that very simple reason, that we witness that birth and we see what he has done later on. So that's pretty powerful. You know what's amazing about, about Paul, and just to go along with what he's saying, is that a lot of the stuff that he says has to come from God because he never experienced it himself. When he's talking about marriage, the dude has never been married before. He's never been a widow. He's never been divorced. But he's telling you the right thing to do in every situation despite never experiencing it. So he had to be led by the Holy Ghost in everything that he was saying. Uh, <coughs> anybody else? All right. That's good. Well, let's go on. I, I took some notes today. Praise the Lord. There's a lot to remember. I try to remember everything and I forget stuff, so I wrote it down. But First of all, we find here in verses 1 through 2, and we'll read it. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone, any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And we see how ruthless he is because, you know, men normally will have some mercy on a woman. Mm -mm. Paul said, no, I, I, you know, it don't matter. Man, woman, whoever, I'm dragging you out your house and I'm taking you to jail. You, you, you are, if, you're, if you're saying that Christ is the way, you're done. And so we see that he is, we're given this picture. He was, he was just, I mean, enraged against the church. And we got to understand the Apostle Paul, okay? This is a guy that from, remember, he's, he's not your typical Jewish boy, okay? Typical Jewish boy, they knew the whole Torah and everything like that. But then, you know, he was another level. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, this guy sat under Gamaliel. You know, Gamaliel was like the man, you know, he was like the Yale University of Judaism. OK, I mean, this is Gamaliel. I mean, this guy was serious and he sat there and I mean, he was he was in this stuff. I mean, he knew the law to the T and he was devout. And the reason why he hated the church, it wasn't just because Paul was hateful. Paul hated the church because he loved Jehovah God and he didn't want any kind of deception coming into the Jewish community. He didn't want any kind of lies coming into the the Jewish community, and so when he saw the you know the, the way rising up, saying, you know what, this Jesus, y'all crucified him. This Jesus, he was the Messiah to come. Paul is like, man, I've been reading all of these scriptures, and how is this guy who we crucified going to be anything you know uh, anything that we're supposed to be dealing with? So it wasn't that he was just hateful. He really you know thought that he was doing the right thing. He was keeping you know the 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 the, the, the Jewish community pure. He was saying, okay, you know what, we're not going to deal with this because what in the in, in the old testament what do they do someone was a blasphemer they stoned him they they, they cleansed the impurity out of israel and he was one that believed now you got to realize this too he was one that believed that in order for the messiah to come in order for the messiah to come there had to be perfection in obedience to the law so in other words he was saying wait a second you guys are coming up in here saying grace 
And, 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 and we don't have to keep the law? Are you crazy? If we don't keep the law, how is the Messiah going to come? He was waiting. He was like, man, I want to see the Messiah. I want to see the King of the Jews come. This is his mindset. So you got you to kind of understand that he wasn't just some guy that, you know, just decided to be mean and just wanted to see people get stoned. No, he was a guy that knew the law. And in the law, it said that we had to be, you know, this way in order for Messiah to come. So he was trying to walk through all of these things. He was seeing these people coming in and teaching something different. And you know what? It wasn't just they were teaching. They were gaining many disciples because he was over there in Jerusalem. You know, he was there when Stephen got stoned. And then, you know, the persecution begins. And what happens? Well, he figures that's going to be the end of the story. You know, a thousand people get saved. And so that's going to be the end. No, then, then he hears, man, these people spread. And now the gospel is all over the place. People over here getting saved. In Damascus, they're getting saved. There's communities over here in Joppa. I mean, everywhere people are getting saved. So he's like, yo, I got to go. I got to go and do this over here because we got this mess out of Jerusalem. Now these people are going and spreading all this mess. So now I'm going after them. And so the apostle Paul goes and he steps out. So he is enraged. He is impassioned to destroy. He wants to wipe out the way. He wants to wipe out any mention of the name of Christ. And so he says, you know what I'll do? I will bring fear into these people's hearts and I will go and imprison them and I will make sure that I'm taking them back to Jerusalem for what? So the same exact thing that happened to Jesus, I can bring them before the high priest and we can condemn them to death and they're all going to die. And you know what he Eventually, they're going to get tired of dying because of this lie. So that's going to be the thing. So he was enraged. He was impassioned. And he was also empowered because he did what? He went and got letters from the highest authority of the Jewish community. He goes to the high priest and says, listen, I need letters. In other words, when I go to Damascus and I go into these synagogues and I get ruthless and I get my little group and we grab people and start yoking them up and taking them out, we're going to show them the letter and say, hey, you see this letter right here? We got authority so y'all can't say nothing. So this is what he was saying. So he goes and he's on his way way to Damascus and then he has this wonderful situation that occurs in verse 3 or beginning in verse 3 it says and as he journeyed he came near Damascus so notice he is he, he is on the brink of Damascus according to the tradition he was on a bridge you know right before a bridge that crossed over from one place to the next going in there and so he's coming into Damascus he's on his way there upset angry and suddenly I love those suddenlies you should highlight them in the book of Acts because those suddenlies are all over the place suddenly a light shone around him from heaven now I want you to notice when you go later on and I believe it's like chapter 26 or 27 you will notice that he recounts this story and he's says that it was about noontime. It was about midday. So you know that it's bright. That's the brightest time of the day, which is then. So that would tell you how bright the light was that shine that caused him to be blinded and bow down. It had to be a powerful, overwhelming light that was that overwhelmed him at that particular moment. So it says suddenly this light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? So he recognizes right away that this supreme power and this supreme glory is, is, is the master. And he's, he's like, who are you? I, I don't, then I, he's saying, I don't know you. I thought I knew you, but who are you? And so he goes on and he communicates to him and says, then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. 
hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hands and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. And so we see here a time, and, and we're all in, inspired and encouraged by this. But this is, this right here that we are picturing and we are, or we're witnessing here is one of the greatest miracles recorded in the book of Acts. It is probably second to only one, and that is the descending of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And the reason why this is, is because the conversion of Saul is unexpected, it is unlikely, and it is unexplainable by any natural means. There was no expect people were running from Saul, okay? This guy was a terror to the church. I mean, they knew if Saul was on the same street as them, you know what? They might as well just, you know, bag it because it, they, they were going to jail. I mean, this guy was serious. It was no natural explanation to what happened to him yet it is proof to the necessity of a praying church and the power of a church praying in the kingdom of God you see what, what we, what we got to realize is that when the persecution arose the church didn't lose its fervor in prayer the church didn't lose its fervor and its diligence in preaching the gospel. The church did not stop doing the things that it was doing. The church was continuing to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what they did? They did something real simple that the church needs to do today. They, they, they trusted and they obeyed God. Period. They knew it was supposed to leave. And as they went, they were supposed to make disciples. And so you know what they understood? They understood you can't be a disciple. And, and if, if you are a disciple, then you're going to make disciples. You can't make disciples unless you are a disciple. In other words, John chapter 15, they realized this clearly that Jesus is divine and they are the branches and they can do nothing apart from him. And if they abide in him, then what happens? Then they are going to bear fruit. In other words, you are going to be a disciple and you will make disciples. You will be a disciple. You will make. So that's all they did. They continued in the vine, which is Jesus Christ. They continued seeking him. They continued praying, Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Father God, continue to open blinded eyes. Father God, continue to show yourself mighty. Father God, continue to manifest yourself. And in this particular moment, listen, there didn't even need to be a preacher there because the Holy Ghost said, okay, Paul, you've done what you needed to do. You've you persecuted my church. You're running after them. Now you're coming this way. I'm going to stop you in your tracks and I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you my glory, my power and my might. But it is because and you got to hear this. It is a result of a church that is filled with the power of God and that is pursuing God. It's not some lax church, not some relaxed church. That's just no, 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 no. They're not. They are a passionate people that are seeking God. And what is happening? The presence of God is moving. And now when the great persecutor is on his way, God inter interrupts his steps and says, hold on buddy we, we got a praying church over here in Damascus and you know what as a matter of fact we need you to continue doing what I need to do so I'm going to get a hold of you and I'm going to turn your heart around God shows us that he limits every move of the enemy and will always turn evil for good if we will simply trust and obey him notice Saul was persecuting the church in the natural but Jesus accuses him of persecuting him Notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say, I'm Jesus and you are persecuting my church. That's not what he says. He says, I am Jesus 
whom you are persecuting. Why is this important? Why, why am I even pointing this out? It is because Saul had not done anything. He didn't touch Jesus in the sense of touching him or anything like that, but he touched his body. And what we've got to realize is that you cannot separate Jesus from his church. In other words, you cannot separate you from Christ. As long as you and I are abiding in Christ, guess what? If somebody does something to us, does something against us, guess what? They're doing it against him. Praise the living God. That is a good thing to know because you, you, you don't need to get mad. You need to say, oh, well, Lord, that's your problem, not mine. And, 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 and it's important that you get this because we're his body. And everything that is done against us is directly done against him. Hence, listen now, we should allow him to defend us when we are wrong. Hello. Don't you think he did a great job of defending the church right here? Don't you think he did a wonderful job? This guy was persecuting the church. He was doing all of this stuff. And you know what? God rose up and said, you ain't going to keep touching my church like that because you are touching me. And so he gives us this here so that we can realize that when things are coming against our lives, let Christ fight our battles. Learn to submit to his lordship. Learn to trust him in the midst of whatever. And that way he can go forward in your power. I mean, in his power and do his will in your life. Now, I just want to point out because some of you may have asked a question or thought, what is a goad? A goad, because he tells Paul here, he says, um, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And what a goad is, is it is a pointy, like it's usually made out of, it's um, verse 5, verse 5. <clears throat> it says it's hard to kick against the goads. And what a goad is, it's this, it's this long, like wooden thing. It's like a prick. And, and what it does is it's what is utilized to move the oxen forward, to keep them going in a certain direction. And so the picture that is given here is an ox trying to kick against the goad. In other words, trying to go backwards. And he's telling Paul, what would happen? Well, the goad is just going to poke him harder. It's just going to stick him. That's all it's going to do. And so he's giving him a picture and he's saying, Paul, look, the only way that that goad is going to stop pricking is if you start flowing with the goad. But if you go against it, it's going to penetrate deeper, which is a powerful picture because what happened when persecution hit the church did the church stop no did the penetration of the gospel get 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 less no the penetration of the gospel became greater there was a greater move of what was happening because god was moving his church and so he tells paul he said listen i'm trying to move my jewish people i'm trying to move them into a relationship with the messiah and so now you've got to allow yourself to walk with this so he communicates this to him so that is what a goat is now we move on to verses 10 through 19 and it says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, I have he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. What a prophetic word. Hallelujah. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, glory to God. He's letting him know I come in peace. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. We are now... And these verses introduced to Ananias, and this is not the one who lied to the Holy Spirit, obviously, but he was a devout Jew. According to the book of Acts chapter 22 and verse 12, we find that that is what he was. He was a devout Jew, someone who was well spoken of by the Jewish people, but he was a convert to Christianity, obviously. And he had been a leader within the church of Damascus. Now, this is only probable. There's no guarantee that he was a leader in the church. It is assumed that he was a leader in the church because God is speaking to him, telling him to do something like that. And we just, that, that's the assumption. Not a guarantee. But here's one thing that we know for sure about him, that he was not one of the apostles. Very important for us to notice this, because he wasn't one of the apostles. But look at what God sends him on the mission to do. God sends him on the mission to go to the apostle Paul to bring him into the body of Christ officially and do what? To introduce him to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember the question we had last week about laying hands on people? This guy wasn't an apostle. And the, and, and this the, the reason why there didn't need to be an apostle there at this time is obviously because Saul was a Jew. The Jews had already been accepted into the body of Christ. And so it's the same thing today. Every nationality in this world has somebody that is represented as a Christian, somebody who's received Christ. So that means that everybody can be filled with the Holy Ghost. There's no need to have an apostle there in order for that to happen. So brothers and sisters, be released in the name of the Lord. When you lead someone to Christ, lay hands on them and tell them, receive the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus and have faith. Amen. So he chooses him, he said he chooses him to go over there to introduce him to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to open his eyes because he was blinded from this from this situation, and to baptize him in the water. Again, these are things that he did not being an apostle. We see what he what does he do? Ananias questions the direction of the Lord. Now I want you to know this, okay? Let's not get super spiritual. This is natural for us, even in circumstances not as intimidating as this. You may not be looking at some big persecutor of the church and God tells you to go and listen I want you to go share the gospel with this person over there and it may be someone who is just very intimidating to you and you may question man God is that really you telling me to talk to this person or you know you may have somebody in your workplace or in your neighborhood that they just look like the last candidate on planet earth that would like for you to come and talk to them about the gospel but you have got to go on ahead do just like Ananias did say Lord you talking to me <laughs> That's okay. It's, it's natural for you to do that. You want, you want to go ahead and say, Lord, you talk. Okay. But, but once you do that, it's okay. As long as you receive the information you need and you move forward, it's all right. Go ahead and ask him the question. But once he answers your question, once he confirms it to you or he continues to, continues to impress that upon your heart, listen, go on ahead and move in faith and just go and share what he puts in your heart to share, share whatever, you know, you need to share with that person. So here's a few things that we learned from this situation here. And looking at this little story that we can apply to our lives. First of all, we should never count anyone as unreachable or unusable. No matter their demeanor, their attitude, their past or their present situation. We find in this situation that Paul was the unlikely candidate. He was the last person, again, that anybody would have wanted to witness to because they would have been dying if they would have tried to witness to this guy. Not to mention, they would have probably been highly embarrassed because most people were not as educated in him. And this guy would have taken them from Genesis all the way until Malachi and shown them there is no way that you are correct. And so he would have definitely, you know, put some doubt in their heart. But still, we cannot go ahead and cast anybody to the wayside. Another Another thing that we can learn is that we should never undermine the importance of ministering to one soul. 
Very important. Because you look at this story, Ananias, we only see his name two times in the scriptures. But look at how much the Apostle Paul does. Look at how much was accomplished through the Apostle Paul. Don't you think in some way, shape, or form these guys are in heaven and Ananias is being rewarded greatly? Because you know what? You listen to me and you witness to one person and that one person turned the world upside down for my glory and you were the one who was the vessel for that. And so it is vitally important that we don't forget about that. There was a testimony of Dwight L. Moody. It was his Sunday school teacher that witnessed to him, that led him to Christ. Sunday school teachers, you know, all the kids don't staff. Hear what I'm about to say I, nobody even knows the name of the Sunday school teacher okay because that's what they were a Sunday school teacher who led Dwight L. Moody D.L. Moody to Christ okay who is D.L. Moody he was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived I mean this guy was a powerful minister and so you look at this this situation with Paul here and it is important that you don't undermine that one soul that one person and that you don't undermine yourself because that's another thing too is that we sometimes time look at ourselves and we belittle ourselves and we say oh you know the reason I can't go witness to that guy is because I don't know as much as so and so and I don't know as much scripture as so and so listen to me don't let that discourage you you have the same Holy Spirit inside of you as every other child of God and it's God who's going to convert them not your wisdom and you know what God may want to use you and the and, and your dependence on him more than he'll use somebody else who go over there and argue point for point and all that kind of craziness and so it is very important that we look at though that, that we look at that. We should never underestimate who we are in Christ or doubt how God may want to use us. We should never count anyone as unreachable or unusable, no matter their demeanor or their attitude. And we should never under, undermine the importance of ministering to one soul. Saul was a chosen vessel. Notice Saul was in prayer, and God is saying, This is a chosen vessel whom God had already prepared for Ananias to minister to. So what do we realize? We realize that if God is telling us to go minister to someone. It's highly probable that he's already prepared the way for you. It's highly probable that that person has already got questions or already got something going on inside of them. And all you got to do is go over there and be the icing on the cake. Let God use you to bring that life into that person. Amen. All right. So the next thing that we find here in verses 20 to verse 30, immediately it says it didn't he didn't wait. Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they, and, and, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in, the, in, in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, and him, and sent him out to Tarsus. So in this portion of the scripture here, we, we, we see here, what should happen to any new convert as soon as he was born again 
he began to do what? He started preaching. Now, he, he wasn't given a leadership position in church. That isn't what happened. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't put in charge of a ministry in the church. That would be crazy. But immediately, he became a witness for what Christ did in him. And I'll say it like this. You can really tell if someone was born again by what they do after. If you are really born again, trust you me, you will not be able to be quiet about what happened to you. I told you all my testimony. The next day, after I gave my life to Christ and the Lord just messed me up, I was witnessing. I, I mean, I was just, and you know, I'm not going to get into the rest of the details because I'm on tape here. I don't want to be, you know, incriminating myself. But, 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 but anyway, the fact of the matter was I couldn't shut up about Jesus if I wanted to. Why? Because he rocked my world. He changed my life. You think I had all the answers? Most definitely not. I, I barely read a Bible, but I knew this much. I knew that I met that Jesus the night before. I knew that I met him, and I wanted whoever I was going to talk to to know about it. And my friends, like I told you, we used to hang out. I didn't have no Christian friends, so what did I do? I used to hang out with them, and that lasted no more than a month. You want to know why? Because they got sick and tired of getting high in front of me and me preaching Jesus to them. Because I was messing up their situation. <laughs> Because that's exactly what I did. I didn't get high with them. I would sit there. while they, Man, I would tell them what I was reading in the word. I would tell them. And they were like, you know what? Suddenly, you know, one day the car stopped coming. The car used to come to my house every day at a certain time, come and pick me up. I'd get in the car. Before you knew it, they were coming like twice a week. And then all of a sudden, once a week. And then suddenly I'm looking out the window like, where they at? They ain't coming. Because what? They got tired of hearing about Jesus. But you know what? Whenever any of them went through a little heartbreak or went through a hard situation, guess what? The car pulled up and they came out the car crying to me. And guess what they got an ear full of? You know what I learned in Bible study today? This will fit your situation. You know why? Because I had an encounter with Christ. And, and I didn't have all the answers all the time. I didn't know every single thing that needed to be told to the people. But you know what? I knew that Jesus was real. And I knew that I had had an encounter with him. And I knew that if he could change my life, he could change anybody's life. Amen. So I think that's what happens to a lot of us, you know, when we when we know where we've been, you know what we've done, and for Him to save us and His grace is sufficient for us. And Amen. we just have to give back if we didn't want to do everything Amen. we can for this cause. Amen. Absolutely true. And here's here's another beautiful thing, is that there are some of us who have never done anything, but when you truly encounter the Holy God, you realize how unholy you are, and then you realize how much you've been forgiven. And then you will go out there and you will share that same love, because that is the thing, where there's a lot of religious folks that, you know, they do all kind of good stuff and whatever the case is, and they haven't come to the realization that they, they need Jesus. And Jesus was dealing with them all throughout the scriptures, and, you know, throughout his whole three years of ministry, running into people that, you know, they thought their righteousness was okay. But when you have a real encounter with God, you realize your righteousness is as filthy rags before him. And then you will have that passion to go and do what God has called you to do. So very important that we have that mindset. But we see what he did. Immediately he began to do what? He began to testify of Christ. And it is the same thing. New converts. They need to be released and they should be automatically going out there to go and testify about what Christ has done in their life. And then we worry about opposition because we think, oh my goodness, you know, opposition is going to come and, you know, we don't want them to go out there because then they're going to get some opposition and they might shake their faith. Let me explain something to you. When a person is a new convert and really has that relationship, you know what opposition does for them? It makes them stronger in, the, in their faith and it makes them dig deeper but it is important that they have a good support system it has to be there but more importantly there's got to be a good root system hallelujah 
Okay? So once they're born again and they're connected to Christ, they got to have a good support system, personal testimony. When I was really young in the Lord, probably like a month, maybe two months old, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, our house didn't have one of those signs that said no soliciting. So they came there, knocked on the door. I opened the door. You know, the guy starts talking to me and this and that. We're having a good conversation. And I'm, you know, just witnessing or whatever. And then all of a sudden he started asking me some shaking questions about who Christ was. And I was like, oh man, this, I mean, it messed me up. I mean, messed me up. I got, I, I, I went inside the house and I was like, man, do I believe the right thing? I mean, this is how shaken I was at that moment. And because I had a good support system, my father called, right? Like at that same moment. He calls and, you know, usually, you know, my dad, we're the same way now, you know, 12, 13 years later, we get on the phone and we spend 30, 40 minutes, you know, just talking about the word and what he's learning, I'm learning and we just go back and forth. So he gets on the phone with me and he's like, hey, he said, um, you know, what's up? And I said, man, I don't know, man. He's like, what do you mean you don't know what's going on? And I said, man, these Jehovah's Witnesses just left the house. And he was like, yeah, and? And I said, man, they messed me up, man. They asked me these questions and he tells me, he says, listen, Jason. He said, your grandfather, he is a um, like superintendent for the Jehovah's Witness in Puerto Rico. He like prints the Jehovah's Witness Bible in their watchtower stuff. He said, listen to me. He said, that stuff is a bunch of heresy. He said, you just need to go and study your Bible and find out who Christ is. And so I was like, well, praise the Lord. I went into my Bible. I went to the book of Philippians and I was learning about Christ and all that. And I was like, well, I'm ready for them to come next time, boy. They came. They came to the, look, I was in the backyard of my house. They came, you know, because they, they, they have their schedule. They're like, okay. We shook him this week. We're coming back to shake him again next week. And hopefully we'll convert him in a couple of weeks, right? So they came back next week, same time. I was in the backyard hanging up some clothes. I turn around the corner and I see him walking up the parking lot. Man, I felt the blanket of the Holy Ghost come on me. I was like, glory to God. It's on now. And I said, and, and, and they came up and I was like, yeah, how you guys doing? They started talking. And I said, listen, you know, I really thought about those questions you guys were asking me last week. I said, let me see your Bible real quick, you know? And so I took him in their Bible because you got to take him through their Bible. And I said, look, let me show you this. What about this right here? What does this say about Jesus? And I said, let's go over here. What does this say? About and I was going, the guy was like, yeah, okay. And he had nothing to say. There was no response. And he left me, never seen him again. Glory to God. <laughs> what, what, what I share the testimony for? All the glory and honor to God. Because you know what? I was a new convert. I was a baby in the Lord. And my faith was shaken. But sometimes your faith got to be shaken for you to know where you stand. And it is important that we have a good support system. That's why it's good to connect Pastor Aldo with those new converts. And that way, you know, they can get connected with the pastors and the leadership. So when they go through stuff like that, you know what? Someone may not call them, but they can know someone to call to help them get through those moments. And so the Apostle Paul, he runs into mad opposition. All kind of stuff is going wrong against him. And what does he do? Does he weaken and get Oh No, he doesn't. He gets stronger. The scripture tells us that he increased all the more in strength. This is what he did. He got stronger. As they asked him questions, he started thinking. He started going back in his mind. And he was like, man, this is what it says here and this way. And he became stronger. And they couldn't do nothing because all of the questions they asked, now he had the answers to. So he becomes this vital person within the body of Christ there. So he goes on and he, he becomes stronger. So what we got to do is have that good support system, the good root system. Now, you will notice here that the, that um, the scripture says, if you look at verse 21 there, in between verse 21 and 22, there is nothing there. It's just the verse there. But there's something that occurs here because there is a three-year period that takes place. And the reason why we know this is because the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18, it talks about Paul. And when he was first converted, 
converted, the scripture says that he did not go immediately to Jerusalem, but that he was in the desert of Arabia for three years. And then after that, he returned to Damascus. Now notice what it says here. I'm sorry, verse, um, verse 23. It says, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So this is after those three years. So from the time that he got saved to this time here, this is that three-year period there. Because then the next portion that sh it shows us that he does what in verse 26? It says they sent him and he goes where? He goes to Jerusalem. So this is his first visit to Jerusalem. So this is three years later. Why is this important? Because we look at it as, oh, a few days passed. So maybe he was there for a little while. No, it's been three years that he's been there and he's been, and now he's preaching and he's strong. And so he goes to, you know, to, to Jerusalem for the first time, three years later. So we're starting to see how the, how, how, you know, this book, like I said, it's over the first 30 years of the church. So we see three years right here that go by and there's no um, record of it because then Luke would have had to put a whole bunch of stuff there for three years that probably occurred most scholars believe that it, during those three years is when he started establishing some of the churches in that area and began to witness and so those are the type of things that occurred there and there, there was obviously only certain beatings that Paul took that he says that he took and there's only a few of them that are accounted for shipwreck things of that nature so that's why they believe that during those three years when a lot of this stuff occurred but anyway we see the apostle Paul goes after those three years and he comes where he comes to the church in Jerusalem and as passionate and powerful as he was he was still rejected by the majority and needed to be proven so we see three years later, this guy's been preaching. He has been just turning it upside down in Damascus. He's been doing all kinds of stuff. When he gets to Jerusalem, to the foundation headquarters, the church don't want nothing to do with him. They're like, you know what? This guy is a spy. He's just trying to come in here and hang out with us. And he's saying he's a believer, but he ain't no real believer. And so what happens? The scripture shows us that this wonderful man by the name of Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he says, come on, Paul, you're going to come with me because I'm going to be the vessel that's going to bring the proving to your life. And so he goes and he hangs out with Barnabas for a little while. Him and Barnabas communicating. Barnabas brings him back to the apostles and says, listen, you know, these are the things that he's communicated. This is a genuine salvation. He's demonstrated this fruit. And so then he's there after his process of him being proven. Then 15 days later, because the scripture just says he was only there for 15 days so in 15 days we see that what happens that this guy was ready to get killed they were already ready to kill him again because he's there 15 days just preaching 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 let them know about christ the the, the grecian the greek speaking jews they're upset with him what do they do they get a plot to do what to kill the guy and so what do they do they got to send him away again so then we see Paul being sent away. Look at verse 31. It says, then, so we get this introduction. Let me pause real quick. We get this wonderful introduction to the, to the new birth and the life of Paul and, and the process that God is bringing him through. And then we get a glimpse of what occurs in the church. In verse 31, it says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, I mean Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And here we see God bringing peace edification and multiplication to the church abroad and we see two key components found within the church necessary for this movement if we want to see the peace of God reigning if we want to see the edification of God we want to be more equipped to do the works of God in this earth we want to be more equipped to reach the lost we want to be more equipped to be effective ministers if we want to see multiplication we want to see people getting saved these two components have got to be part of us on a consistent basis and this is the opportunity for us 
us to look into the mirrors of our lives and say, are these consistent in my life? And the two things, it says that they were walking in the fear of the Lord. It says, and they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So they were walking. That means consistently. That means every area, every part of their life, they were walking with a holy reverence. They were walking with an acknowledgement. They weren't walking around saying, okay, God will forgive me for this. It was none of that stuff. They weren't walking around half-stepping this thing. No, they were walking around with the reverence and fear of God because they understood who God was. And you know what the fear of God produces? The fear of God produces worship. That's what the true fear of God produces. When you truly fear God, what do you do? You bow before him. You, 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 you may not walk, because obviously you can't walk around bowed, but you can live around bowed. You can live as a living sacrifice. And when you truly have the fear of God in your life, you know what happens? You are not willing to compromise because you revere him. You honor him. You respect him. And that has to be consistent. That has to be commonplace. And then walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that word is is that paracleo word, which means to come beside. So what are they doing? They are coming together because they're walking in the fear of God. Their lives are inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit. They are communing with God like we see clearly in Ananias. God just picks him out of nowhere because what? He's doing what he's supposed to do. He is in communion with the Holy Ghost. He is not too busy to spend time with God, so he is available to have those encounters that are necessary. And when you have a church that is consistently walking in the fear of God and a church that is consistently walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you see these things manifesting through God because it's not us. We are just available and God begins to manifest those things within our lives. So we continue on in the story here, verses 32 through 42. We kind of get a reintroduction to Peter. And it says in verse 32, it says, Now it came to pass as Peter went through all the all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Ananias, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And so we realize here, first, we, we again see this, this faith that is just unwavering. There is like no question. He is like, all right, Ananias, the Lord Jesus heals you. Get up and walk. Make your bed. And he's just like, come on, man, let's go. We ain't got time to be playing. This is this guy's faith. So he goes, but what happens? We see something. We see it, it isn't, you know, wow, Peter's just as mighty. It ain't nothing like that. The scriptures say the people saw this and they were all converted. They were all turned to God. Wow, what an amazing move of God. A miracle happens and when they look at Peter, Peter does such a great job of pointing them to Jesus that they all convert and say, man, we need that Christ because we've been looking at this guy for eight years, probably moving him out the way, walking around him, stepping over him, whatever the case is. And you come up in here and you tell him to get up and make his bed and this guy gets up and make his bed. We need that Jesus. Important. It's important for us to realize that in this place here, there were already converts. It's not like this was a new place that was unpreached to. No, 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 no. This is a place that there was already a church there. He was, he was just going by visiting, seeing how the church is doing. He was going there to communicate to them and, and see them. And, and all of a sudden, we see the power of God manifesting in this way. Because you know what? As long as there are souls that need to be saved, we still need the power of God to manifest in the earth. So as long as we see lost people walking on this earth, we should be crying out to God, God, let your kingdom come and let your power manifest. God, let the power of your spirit use me. Manifest through 
through me so that way I can be a witness for your kingdom and glory and people can see your glory through my life and they will turn from their wicked ways and come to the saving knowledge of who you are. It's the power of God that does that stuff. So we continue on to read. And at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room, and since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was, was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming, in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, he brought him into the, he brought them into the upper room, and all of the widows stood, stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garnets which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and she saw Peter, she, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And what? And many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Glory to God. So the Apostle Peter resurfaces in the narrative and the ministry of the Holy Spirit through him continues in these different cities. It is important to notice that in both of these places, there were already believers present. And this nullifies the argument that miracles were simply to establish a one-time witness to the resurrection of Jesus. On the contrary, as long as there are souls to be saved, the power of God is needed to manifest. In each of these cases, we see that the result of the miracle was the salvation of souls. Christ was lifted up and men were drawn to him. We simply need to regain faith in God and become unwavering in our commitments unto him. Simple. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we humble ourselves before your truth. We humble ourselves before your word and your presence in this place. And Father, we thank you so much for the examples that you have given us in your word. We thank you so much for the truth that is here, Father God. And Lord, I'm humbled, Lord, because I recognize that you want to do so much more through me, so much more through us, Father God. And Lord, I realize that you declare unto us, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, Father God. And Lord, as I've prayed, Father, in the beginning and pray continually throughout this series, Lord God, waken our faith, my God. Shake us and stir us by what we see in the counsel of your word, Father God. Lord, I pray for myself and for each of my brothers and sisters, my God. Lord, that you would deliver us from doubt, my God. That you would deliver us from fear, my Lord. God, that you would fill us with faith in what your word says, my God. Father, that we would become those mighty vessels, my Lord, who are without title and without notoriety, but who know you and who are known by you, Father God. Lord, that our lives would reflect your glory and your power and that we would simply be vessels through whom you can move, my God. Father, help us, dear Lord, to lay our lives down and to, Lord, take up our cross and, Father, just allow you to move through us in every aspect, Father God. 
Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would remove from our minds, remove from our hearts, Lord God, remove from our desires anything and everything, Father God, that hinders us from arising in your power, Lord God. From arising, Lord God, as vessels through whom your kingdom can manifest today, Father. Lord God, use us as a church, Lord God, that would mark this world, Father, not by other things than what is found in your word, but, Father, by the things that we find in your word. Father, we ask you tonight, Lord, to be glorified, Lord. Help us, Father, to live full of faith, Lord, in these days, God. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, if you would please get your tithes and your offering ready.